Westworld Season 1, Episode 6. The adversary is over, but we're just getting started talking about it here on the Welcome to Westworld podcast on Post Show Recaps. Hello, everybody. I am Josh Wiggler, and here is my co-host who is going to help me take this podcast all the way to the top. It's Joe Garfine. Joe, what's going on? Nobody makes me do something I don't want to, Josh. Yes, I'll I be know. on the Mesa deck having a cocktail. Yeah, except uh, everything that you just said uh, just appeared as uh, you know really cool visual stimuli on my tablet. So I don't know what to tell you about this. My sensitivity levels need to be lowered. Thank yeah. you. <laughs> How is your bulk apperception these days? I'd say it's pretty high up there, I just have to say. Yeah, yeah. On a scale of 1 to 20, and we're not supposed to go over 14, I would give myself uh, like a 3. I think I'll go with a 3 on my bulk app perception. <laughs> Mine goes to 11. Yeah. I would be very nervous to see, like, my attribute matrix. Like, I don't... <laughs> like, that's like, can you imagine, like, listing that self, all that stuff out for yourself and, like, trying to give yourself an honest grade of 1 to 20 on all of these different things? Like, it'd be, it'd be very, very revealing, I think, and probably too much so. I agree. I think it's like looking in the mirror and then no one, everyone can see exactly what you're seeing. Yeah. So I, I wrote all of those down. I paused the screen when we got to that scene where Maeve is getting to look at, like, what makes Maeve Maeve. Yeah. Uh, and I wrote down all of the different <laughs> scores. She's not a cruel person. She scores one on a cruelty, uh, on one to 20 on cruelty. She scores a one. Uh, that's pretty good. Uh, let's see. What are some of her other really uh, compelling scores? Her tenacity is 17. I feel like that shows. Absolutely. Uh, she's got a nine for humor. I think she's funnier than a nine. Agreed. More of a dry. Yeah. Uh, three for patience. That feels correct. <laughs> uh, she's got a 10 for coordination. I was surprised by that. I didn't find her particularly clumsy. No, I didn't find her particularly clumsy at all. Uh, and now she has a 20 bulk apperception, which is higher than anybody is supposed to be allowed. You're not supposed to be any higher than 14, which she already was. Bulk apperception being your overall intelligence. So now she's super smart. She's alarmingly smart, I think. Uh, for any nearby humans, a.k.a. Felix and Sylvester, I would be very worried about this. It, she had a little bit of a brain gasm when she got the upload. And let me tell you something. It is time for her to have a little fun. It is time for her to have a little fun. And we are going to have a little bit of fun as well as we're talking about the adversary. All of our analysis, all of our theorizing, all of our general Westworld nerdiness is about to ensue. Just the basics that we always get out of the way up front. Of course, first of all, we're going to be talking about episode six. So spoilers through episode six. If you haven't watched yet, go watch, then come back here. Also, we are taking your feedback, a good amount of feedback this week as well. We are recording this much closer to when the episode aired. So not quite as much as last week, uh, but you can get that stuff into us. We would love to get your feedback every week postshowrecaps.com slash feedback is our feedback form and our email address is westworld at postshowrecaps.com and of course if you would not mind subscribing that is going to be the best way for you to catch all of these westworld podcasts go to postshowrecaps.com slash westworld leave us a rating leave us a review we would kindly appreciate it the jojo team jojo would really appreciate any <laughs> any stars or reviews or ratings or anything that you want to give us uh all of that out of the way joe this episode the adversary pretty good Pretty good. Oh, holy moly. I was thinking, you know, episode six of a 10-episode season. In the first season of a show, we knew it was going to be bold. And, you know, a lot of people look for answers quickly. And I think since Lost Drink, um, there have been shows that give you too many answers and shows that remain vague. Um, this is sort of in the middle for me, but I feel like there's so much rich content to unpack. And they, if you're really 
following meticulously, it's kind of a dream come true of a show. It's really cool in that way, yeah. And I mean, certainly as you and I have been doing, we are following this very, very closely. Uh, you said holy moly and holy moly patrol this week. We oh. definitely got some movement on that front. We will talk about the Teresa of it all. I don't know about you. I wasn't seeing that coming. That was not the direction I was going in. No, because we were all focused on Bernard and Elsie. Yeah, we were focused on the wrong people, apparently. It's always it's always the Dutch. That's what you got to be worried about. But we'll get to him, but I'm still not convinced about Bernardold, so we'll get to him. Okay, so we'll get to Bernard as well. So there was movement on that front. There's no Dolores this week. I believe this is the first episode where Dolores is sitting out. Correct. Um, so no Dolores this week, but a heavy dose of Maeve. Uh, oh. we, are, we are deep within the Maves this week, Joe. <laughs> the Maeve maze is, is right before us. It's real. It's very, very real. So a really remarkable episode for Tandy Newton. I oh. think we'll we'll spend a lot of time appreciating that performance because it was really great. And just that whole sequence um, with her getting to tour the behind the scenes here here at Westworld was really, really spectacular. Some crazy stuff on the Ford front. Uh, con- confirmation. Now we're not just, you know, like, you know, just like very confidently saying, oh, clearly that's young Robert Ford. Now we know that it is uh, that little boy that we've been seeing a couple of times here on the show confirmed that is a young version of Robert Ford. That was a jaw-dropping reveal and it was just like it was it was creepy and amazing. Yeah. And of course, uh we can't we can't go without commenting on the fact that Teddy is going to go uh full Rambo in this episode. <laughs> he is he's is tapping into his inner Wyatt it seems. I feel like something what's changed in Teddy was when he met with Ford and Man in Black in the last episode if if it's linear that Ford made a subtle change. I don't know if it was a reverie or what, but he's, I feel like the fact that Teddy went black hat on us, um, you know, seemingly quickly went from the, the good guy to black, white hat to black hat. I feel like there is a shift that Ford put into place. Yeah, I think so, too. So we'll talk that through as well. And of course, we're burying the lead. The most important thing that happens in this episode by far is Lee Sizemore pissing all over Westworld, quite literally. <laughs> that was amazing. It was really gross. I didn't like that at all. It would have been great to never see Lee Sizemore again. And of course, you bring him back and he's peeing all over the place. Of course, this is what's going to happen when you have Sizemore come back into the picture. All I could think is they named him, ironically, Sizemore. No, I know. He's, <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> Sizemore, show less, please, next Thank time. Thank you. Ooh, yes, I that, like it. That would, be, that would be great. All right, so those are basically the main stories that are happening this week, and we're going to dive into all of them. Joe, where would you like to start? What was, the, what was the aspect of this episode that really picked at your brain the most? Uh, I feel like we should start with Bernard and Essie. You know, I, I think... I feel like Essie has become, I'm sorry, Essie, Elsie has become us. She speaks for the audience. You know, she's on Mole Patrol. And she also gives very few Fs. Um, She's just, uh, I really like her, um, the the way that she really is fearless in in trying to uncover and discover the mole. Um, So I love that she sort of presents, tells, tells Bernard, you know, uh, the hosts are being used for industrial espionage, but she rules him out as the guy who did it. 
Yeah, she has, you know, I think sooner than you and I and like everybody else who's watching this show, she sooner ruled out Bernard as the person that she should be worried about here. And of course, we're going to find out in this episode that Teresa is the person that Elsie is going to point to as the person who is satelliting, you know, who's like beaming up everything out of the satellite link uh, out of Westworld for reasons that we still don't fully understand yet, or at least I don't understand. Maybe you can help me out on that, Joe. Uh, So we know that she is somebody who is fishy, at least in Elsie's eyes. But are you still feeling suspicious of Bernard? I am because he just didn't react the way I expected him to, which is to be outraged slash angry. He just he takes everything in, which, you know, if you want to dive down the rabbit hole immediately, it could be in his programming. Right. If he is, if he is indeed a host, I think we should just really start by saying you and I wouldn't be surprised to find out that Bernard is Arnold, but he doesn't know that he's Arnold. Yeah, no, I mean, we've been we've been talking about the Bernardle thing, I think, as as early as our first full podcast together That's uh, right. when, we, when we were talking episode two. Uh, so I think we've been on that train for a while. I still love that theory. So let's see if that bears <laughs> out. Uh, but yeah, and, and I think that there's there was some fun stuff in that regard. If that is something that's going on, um, what a, there's a there's an exchange between Elsie and Bernard in this episode, I think, where Elsie says something to the effect of like, well, you've been here forever. If you were going to screw <laughs> us over, you would have done that a long time ago and then bernard like he's the guy who realized like that some of the older technology here in westworld would be able to help him pinpoint who was tracking the stray and that's what leads him to find ford's family and everything and when he's explaining that to ellis he says as you said i've been here forever Uh, (laughs) and if he has been here forever you know that's very interesting like maybe he has just like been waiting in the wings this whole time because that's his programming and maybe if Teresa is, in, is indeed the mole and she has been utilizing, you know, old models, he is one of them. And he's having a different kind of awakening than Maeve. And that's why he went to, um, I believe it's floor B82, which, by the way, is a chess move. So um, no surprise. What's the that, move? What happens when uh, you do B82? I don't. Honestly, I'm not a chess player. So I looked it up because I knew it sounded familiar and I couldn't explain it. But someone will Google it and I'm sure tweet us. But it's a very specific chess move. Um, so that's the restricted floor. Uh, B82 is the name of a bar in my neighborhood, and it's a pretty good bar. Conspiracy. Maybe I'll ask them if they're big chess fans. Maybe. The only chess move I know is Enter 7-7, Joe. I mean, me too. Drink, drink, (laughs) drink, drink. drink, Lost reference. Lost reference. Um, We can't – let me go back a step that when he goes to the restricted floor, Bernard sees – the original Yule Brenner cowboy old model in the shadows. Yeah, I feel like, you know, maybe that went over some people's heads. I feel like if you've seen the movie um, and like if you if you know, like the iconic, you know, Yule Brenner look from the Magnificent Seven and also in this uh, in Westworld, it's the same, you know, physically looking character. Like you could see that in the background. Uh, you can so see great. It, yeah, you could see that when Bernard goes to that level. That's just an Easter egg, right? Like there's right. not there's no there's nothing more to that. We're not going to I mean, we're not going to see any sort of like computer generated Yule Brenner stalking off after William and Logan by the end of this season. Don't you no, think that's not going to happen? No, I thought it was a nice hat tip. Although also black hat tip, black hat tip. Well, skipping ahead to um, the uh, fake Ford family, the kid, when he exposed his face, that was like the old Westworld model technology. Yeah. Was that how it looked in the in the movie? I don't have a great recollection for that. If you take 1973 movie technology into consideration, it's an upgrade, <laughs> but it's very similar with the, the mechanisms. Right. Oh, yeah. I mean, they both kind of have like sort of like the I don't know, like the 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 very like I mean, it's Westworld predates Star Wars, but I'm just going to use Darth Vader as my touchstone. Like it's got like kind of that aesthetic to it. 
Pretty much, yeah. So I thought those were both a little bit of nod to the original, which I think is important to do because this is based off of that source material from Michael Crichton. Yeah, so I appreciate that black hat tip. I think that that's pretty good. Uh, But we do have Bernard. He knows the inner workings. He knows the secrets. He knows how to track down the information he needs to get. So he does go down to that basement level to B82, and he is able to find what he's able to find. That's going to put him on the track for finding Robert Ford's secret family that was built for him by Arnold. And we'll get into all of that. But before we do, he's also going to find some information that's going to help Elsie along on her path to figuring out who is trying to take all of this very secretive intelligence out of Westworld and she's ultimately going to point at Teresa as the culprit and I thought that that was really fascinating Teresa has not really been on my radar as somebody I mean everybody I guess is a suspect at all at all times on this show but Teresa was just never somebody for me that I felt like oh that person is definitely someone who's not on the level that's somebody who really has a secret agenda and it makes me wonder too like just because she's being identified by Elsie as the mole, is she definitely the mole? Like, can we can we say that with certainty or is somebody setting her up? Elsie also is going to say that as best as she can tell, uh, the ghost of Arnold is messing with hosts as well. So there's at least a second player in terms of weird, shady things that Elsie is finding. But do you think that Elsie identifying Teresa, do you buy that? Do you think that that's legit? I do for a few reasons, because then I started thinking about the man in black, and I think that they are working in cahoots. He is a many, many, many time return visitor. Um, He's trying to get to the center of the maze. I feel like, you know, she and the board are trying to outsource Robert Ford and and his um, old school narratives. And I think it's not a coincidence, all of these things happening at the same time. Also, I know anyone can wear gloves, but when Elsie was taken at the very end, a man with black gloves seems to have taken her. All right. And who do we know with black gloves? Ding, ding. Man ding, buck. ding. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So well, I feel like there is a possibility that whether it was through his outside Ford, um, not Ford, Man of Black's foundation is working with HQ corporate evil Teresa. Um, there's potentially a connection there. Yeah, I I have to say, uh, so so going back and rewatching the episode after you've seen it through and you know that Teresa reveal is there, and I'd be curious to like now go back and watch some of the other episodes as well. Uh, but Sidney Babbitt Knutson, who's the actress who plays Teresa, and I'm probably horribly butchering her name. <laughs> uh, she is she's she's playing that character with so much tension. Um, there's a lot of focus on Teresa in isolation. You know, a lot of her private moments are on display. Uh, And most of them, it involves her just like kind of staring vacantly forward and power smoking a cigarette. Uh, (laughs) She looks really, really, really strung out and stressed out and nervous. And we've seen her in that way before. Uh, I mean, we saw that back in episode four during her scene with Ford. And even when she was with Bernard and Bernard advises her to, uh, you know, not worry about her belly so much. That's like an old instinct in humanity. Uh, And so we, we knew from back then, at least, that she was stored, she was sort of kind of like teetering a little bit and things just were not really going her way. But I really picked up on the tension um, on this rewatch when you know, or at least you know Elsie's accusation that Teresa is somebody who is working against Westworld's best interests. Uh, that she see, This does not seem like something that's coming easily to her uh, if this is the case, because when you're with her in her private moments, she just looks like she's shell-shocked. Like this is just not a situation that she's very comfortable in. Do you think she's doing it, you know, she's being blackmailed into doing it? 
Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it could be it could be out of duress. It could just be that the the job itself is so hard and stressful and she already hates Westworld as she has outlined before that she's never felt comfortable here and on top of that she has like this secondary high stress mission that she is involved in. Um so maybe she's just somebody who doesn't deal well with stress or this is just like one very very stressful thing too many. Um but it it could be duress. I think that that's a cool idea. I think it's interesting to now look at her relationship with Bernard. Did she actually genuinely have feelings for him or is he just a pawn in her chess game? Right. Well, that's the B B82 move. So if that's if that's the if that's the case though, then why why break up with Bernard? Like if Bernard is a source of information for her, you would assume, um why why dump him now? Does that mean that whatever she is driving at is close to completion and she doesn't even need Bernard anymore? I think it has more to do with the fact that she actually didn't generally think that Ford knew. Yeah. I'm not sure. But by the way, uh, speaking of uh, Floor 82, there are 82 first-generation hosts. That number is significant. Yeah. uh, 82 first-generation hosts, 47 of them designed by Arnold. Uh, So, yeah, Arnold seems to be the workhorse of of the Arnold Ford pair. To continue on Bernard, and I'm sure other astute viewers noticed this, I, last night, kept pausing every time Bernard was on screen. I counted four, at least four costume changes, which really just means it's confirmation that they're not presenting this show in any kind of linear fashion. But if you want to create your own uh, conspiracy theory spreadsheet, timeline, graph, please do and then send it to us. Um, He's in a tie. He's in a vest. He's in a blazer. He's in a cardigan. The... The, the sequences we are presented with were not in any kind of order. And so it's interesting to digest this episode knowing that. Well, I, I mean, we know that there's something wonky with the timeline here, whether or not you believe in like the two timeline theory or not, that the William and Man in Black stories are playing out separately. It, it's, you know, things really do start to, it, it feels like it's starting to tilt in that direction. Um, so if you're already kind of accepting that there is something sort of strange with the continuity going on, I do think you're right. I think Bernard's an interesting person to watch because his fashion does change like it's it's you know when, when he's with Dolores in those scenes he does look different than he often looks like when he's with Elsie uh, so I think for a lot of like the Bernard old fan theories or even if it's just Bernard isn't Arnold but he is some sort of host or Bernard is somebody who he's not saying if Bernard is a mole that we should be looking at uh, you could you could drive yourself mad by trying to track that by his costume changes but I don't think that it's completely insignificant either I think that there's there's definitely something that you could watch. I just think it's uh, the editing on this show. Hat tip to them because I can't even imagine trying to piece this together. Black hat tip. You know that's going to really have trying, to be our hashtag. I'm I really think. trying to. I'm really trying to make that stick. I'm really <laughs> trying. I'm really trying to land that. Um, we also get this from Elsie. Elsie is saying that Teresa was using the bicameral system to talk into the heads. And I mean, what we, what we know of that already from earlier in the show is like, that's the voice of God. Right. Mm -hmm. So uh, is Teresa, like, was she speaking directly to the stray, to the woodcutter and telling him to like, go to this specific point and beam me up Scotty, all that information. Is that how she was doing this? She was literally talking into this guy's mind. Is that what Elsie's suggesting? I'm not sure if it's that or if it's um, inserted code that's triggered by certain events. You know, I'm not sure if it was live or not. But then again, we don't see what she does on her day to day basis. 
Yeah, I would like it if uh, like the voice of God in my head was Teresa's voice. She has a very, uh, very compelling voice. It's an interesting accent. Yeah, the Dutch accent. I like that. Uh, <laughs> you were telling me before we got on the line here, by the way, Joe, that you had a hot take on the stray on the woodcutter this week. What's the hot take? I want to know. I did. And I'm looking forward to my notes now because I literally took notes on everything. <laughs> of course. But, that's how you have to do it. Right, right. Um, oh, OK. You know how we see last week at the end of the episode, we saw the maze engraved on the coffin in Pariah. Yes. This week, we see the maze engraved on the wood table in, um, I forget the name of the town that Ford's visiting. Do you remember the name of the town? No, I, I, I don't think that it's identified by name, or at least okay. I didn't catch it. Yeah. But then I started thinking, well, what do those two things have in common? They're made of wood. Wood? The stray it was a woodcutter, and it seems like maybe his role was to go around inserting the maze into certain objects, and maybe that turtle that Elsie found in his tent was an unfinished maze. Yeah, so he was working on the maze. So are you saying that he's going around and carving the maze into all of the wood around Westworld? We got we to gotta look at that woodcutter as a, as a massive graffiti artist in that case. Well, not all the wood, but just specific locations that will work as triggers for certain characters or hosts or guests. Would that would that put Teresa then in in a role that is kind of driving at all of that? Would that put her in on that plot? I think I think and even Elsie mentioned this. There's someone else working with her, and maybe it's yeah. the outside source that's providing this kind of code. Again, this is this is wild speculation, but I feel like it's not a coincidence. You have a woodcutter, and you keep seeing the maze. Aside from the scalp of that one man, you see it on wood. Right. You do usually see it on wood. I mean, Elsie does say that there's something else going on here, that somebody has been using this system for weeks to mess with a bunch of hosts, the older models specifically, and that there are very serious modifications that are being made, that a lot of hosts are breaking and changing their loops. There are changes to their prime detect directives. Elsie says uh, they might even be able to hurt us or lie to us. We even see in this episode, we see a host straight up lie to a human. We see young Robert Ford lie outright to older Robert Ford until Robert Ford is able to get his younger self to confess to the lie. Um, so that's very compelling as well. And Elsie says, as best as she can tell, the person who is doing this is Arnold, a prolific programmer for a dead guy is how she describes him. <laughs> she has the best lines. Yeah, it's a great line. And on, on top of that, the young Ford says, you know, when older Ford says, who told you to kill the dog? Young Ford says, Arnold. Um, so this episode to me, did confirm. I mean, I don't think that this is breaking news because I think we've suspected this for a while, but at least it's confirmation, I think, that some version of Arnold, whether he's alive in the park or if he's the ghost in the machine that is haunting from beyond the grave, that is still trying to prove his point, this argument that he's having with Ford, as Elsie describes it, that's still happening. And yeah, you could look at Teresa as somebody who now apparently is causing some mischief as well, but we have confirmation here that some of these hosts are hearing the word of Arnold and Arnold seems to have some sort of proactive plan in place that is now starting to bear out. And I think Ford was caught unaware of that. Um, it's so interesting to me. And also, even though she wasn't in the episode, I kept thinking about Dolores being the original, the oldest model that we know of, at least they've mentioned. And you and I think we're talking offline about this, but there has to be, now that we know that you, we've been speculating for six episodes that potentially hosts are created in the likeness of someone in their family or someone right. in their lives. You see Ford's entire family recreated like some creepy Disneyland animatronic ride. Dolores, who was Dolores to Robert Ford or to Arnold? 
Yeah. All right. So let's let's set that up because there is this great sequence where Bernard goes to sector seventeen or eighteen. I forget which sector it was. One of those sectors, and it's the <laughs> it's the it's this quiet corner of the park where Robert Ford has this house and his family is there, uh, which is very very chilling. Uh, it's his father, it's his mother, it's himself, and it's his brother, and it's the family dog Jock, or at least <laughs> at least it was for a little while before young Robert killed the dog. Um, and Ford. Ex- Explains to Bernard after Bernard shows up and asks the older man, uh, asks Robert's father if he's Arnold. This guy has seemingly no idea what an Arnold is, which is interesting um, because, as a few people pointed out, uh, Lauren Barry had written in, the great Lauren Barry had written in and said, When Bernard stumbles in on Dr. Ford's ghost family, I couldn't help but notice the striking resemblance between Dr. Ford's booze hound host father and the man in the picture that was shown to Bernard while Sir Tony Hopkins waxed poetic about he and Arnold's partnership back in episode three, do we think there's any chance that Arnold might be Dr. Ford's Faja? And perhaps the creation of this idyllic home was an uncharacteristic gesture of kindness. Um, I think that that's an interesting idea. And if you do go back to episode three, I do think that it looks like the Arnold that Ford is talking about is his father. But when Bernard, and I think that that would you know, influence when Bernard asks this man, like, are you Arnold? Uh, but the guy seems to have no idea what that is. So I think the possibility is on the table, but it's not, it's not confirmed either way in any event uh so bernard goes here he he finds these people ford shows up he explains what's going on these are older generation hosts they were created for robert as a gift by arnold uh arnold made them for him and it's basically you know the last shred of sort of sentimentality uh of his old family it's like it's recreating this this like countryside vacation that robert was on that is his only favorite you know it's his only happy childhood memory pretty much clearly we've heard about the dog before we've heard about the greyhound he had the story about his dog that he told to old bill an episode or two ago um and it's very very interesting this idea that hosts can be based off of people, which again, like you and I had speculated, is that a possibility here? Um, But it does add some weight to several of these hosts. Like how many of these people are based on people from Ford and Arnold's lives? And if Arnold is creating hosts that are modeled after Ford's family for Ford, who's to say that Arnold is not creating hosts that are, you know, modeled after people in his life, uh, people that matter to him. So that's really, really intriguing. And you apply that to Dolores and it gets very especially intriguing, I think, when you think about the scene between her and Ford back in episode five, uh, when she says, are we very old friends? And Ford says, I wouldn't say that at all. So what are they? Is she like, is she, is she Ford's late wife? Is she Arnold's late wife? Is she, is she a child of Ford's? Is she a child of Arnold's? Is she somebody that they worked with? Who knows? All the possibilities are endless. But if she is the very first host that was created for Westworld, and if we know that Arnold and Ford have the ability to create hosts that imitate the likenesses of real people, you have to imagine that Dolores is based on somebody real. A hundred percent agree. And I thought one of the most interesting aspects of the reveal of Ford's family was that he said he, he embellished and added to the characters that Arnold created for him as a gift. Like then they show his dad drinking. So I thought here you are in this perfect idyllic cottage with the dog, the little, the fire is roaring, the family is there. And then he adds characteristics to make them more human, or maybe, you know, you'd think there'd be maybe a negative uh, association with having a, a drinking father, but that's, that's what they choose to show. It's very, very telling. 
I think it's really telling as well. Uh, and I, and I love this in contrast to the, you know, to go back to that Ford and Teresa scene. I love this new bit of information in contrast to that. Um, in that scene back in episode four, when Ford is intimidating the bejesus out of <laughs> Teresa, uh, and tells her like, tell the board not to worry. My new narrative is not a retrospective. I'm not the sentimental type. Liar. Uh, liar, 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 pants on fire. <laughs> and we, we see him. I mean, we even saw him last week when he's talking with old Bill and he's reminiscing about the story about the dog and he's telling him everything that happened there. And he's, you know, very kind of wistful and mournful about that. And of course, all that he has to go on that, you know, like the only reaction he gets is a very weirdly wooden, you know, mechanical shoddy take from old Bill. Like let's drink to the woman in the white shoes. So it's not like he doesn't really have anybody to bounce that off of his true feelings. But you see here for a guy who says he's not very sentimental, he has, been in possession of a perfect replica of his family for the past 30 some odd years uh and he maintains them himself like they are you know how what's i think that bernard says something like how how are you keeping them up how are you maintaining them he's like i do it myself i just take care of it uh and we see that he has you know like he takes uh young robert later in the episodes like a basement and stuff so like he's got the ability to do this on his own for a guy who says he's not very sentimental these are sentimental actions to me pretty sentimental so uh you know humans are complicated obviously but it's nice to see that ford himself is uh you know is a conflicted uh is a conflicted man uh, and it's not just like this all-powerful god it's true it's uh, sort of infuses a sad humanity into him if that's possible one of the things i found interesting is you know young ford has uh, appeared in certain narratives before are the people in HQ who are monitoring just not aware of him as an old host is he not an activated is he un dis- I think he's uh, not perceptible by HQ that's my guess that's how I would I would assume that he has been programmed and that Ford is monitoring but I just think it's fascinating when if you go back and look at when young Ford has shown up he did interact last week with Man in Black and, and Lawrence he's interacted with Ford um, he's shown up before is he the only one of the Ford family that has gone out there and is he undetected i think that he he has to be because bernard is so surprised to find out about the five unregistered hosts right um and you know young robert seems to be one of them then the three other family members and then i thought it was really cute i think the implication is that the family dog is the fifth uh (laughs) which is great i love that i thought that that was so cool um so yeah i mean i think that they're undocumented i don't think that they're look i mean arnold himself is essentially undocumented right like he's been scrubbed from the history books nobody even knows what the guy looks like nobody even knows his last name is as far as we know all we hear is Arnold. Um, so it, you know, it, it's not, it's not that much of a shock to learn that these hosts are undocumented, but it also makes you wonder like how many other hosts are there that are out there that are not registered. Right. I just, I love the introduction of that element. It just adds a little bit more to the whole park and the adventure of it all. You know, what also is cool is the, the turn the other cheek moment. Oh. You know, we, we love these little phrases that seem to trigger things in people on this show. Uh, you know, I, I think a great story could be told about that. Like how, how many different words, like cataloging all of the different phrases that are being used to make people have reactions. But Robert says to his younger self, turn the other cheek. And then little Robert Ford opens his face up. <laughs> Um, and like we said earlier, like you see like the old classic sort of like Westworld robot face underneath. 
underneath. I think that this is really interesting for a lot of reasons. We've certainly heard before. I think it was last week when the man in black tells Teddy, like I opened one of you guys up once and like you were a million different pieces, really beautiful. And now you're just like us. Um, I think that like people who are trying to track multiple timelines specifically, like it's the William and Logan story. Is that playing out much earlier than much of the present action? Um, And one of the things that I think that has been sticking in the way of really fully feeling like that's a possibility is wouldn't the hosts be really like a lot less sophisticated, maybe not quite as realistic. Um, But we're seeing that young boy was pretty damn realistic to me, Joe. Uh, And he's able to kind of lift his face and he's got this mechanical thing underneath. Like, you know, he's got a mechanical endoskeleton. uh, And that seems to be a bit of a surprise when you see just how human he seems otherwise. So I think that this, you know, I think this helps along the multiple timeline theory. Like if you're nervous that how could Dolores exist back then? How could Clementine be in that world? How could all of those people be there and still be like flesh and blood hosts that are you know having all these organs and everything like that how could that possibly work i think that this helps out on the timeline theory a little bit it does and uh one of the key takeaways i took from that scene too is ford said great artists always hid themselves in their work well if that's the case maybe arnold hid himself in bernard Mm, i could see that i could totally see that and i mean i think that one of the big reasons why people really like the bernardo thing or certainly why i like that is like there's there's been a lot of you know conflicting statements between bernard's philosophy towards the hosts and ford's philosophy towards the hosts and i think that that's very reflective of what we perceive as this kind of like ancient feud between arnold and ford directly uh so that would be cool i like that but but you do have to think that like if arnold built hosts uh for ford that are based on ford's family you have to assume that he's done the same for himself maybe that's where dolores comes in who knows where it comes in but you also probably like if you're thinking that that arnold is somehow a ghost in the machine and is somehow driving the action forward and is somehow manipulating hosts from the beyond the grave it's really not much of a stretch whether it's bernard or somebody else that we know what Arnold looks like. Like it's not going to be suddenly as awesome as it would be like Ian McKellen shows up on the show and he is playing Arnold and it's this fantastic special casting. I think that you got to figure that Arnold probably made a host of himself and that host is somewhere kicking around, whether it's Bernard or it's Teddy or it's any number of other people. Uh, I certainly feel that way. Like I feel like this episode, the reveal about Ford's robot family strongly suggests to me that not only are players, any of these hosts based on real people, but Arnold had the means and the motive to do the same for himself, to make a host based on himself. And I strongly believe that he didn't make it in his own likeness because he knew his life was in danger and that the host he had created in his likeness was only on the internal side in case something did happen to him. I like that. I think that's really good. Uh, We also know that Arnold is the one who tells young Robert to kill Jacques. uh, And when asked why that happened, first he lies about how the dog died. Then he confesses to killing the dog because a voice told him to do it. It was Arnold. He tells me the dog was a killer. It wasn't his fault. It was made that way and I could help it. And uh, Ford says, how could you help it? And young Robert says, if it was dead, it couldn't hurt anything anymore. Is that telling for Arnold? (laughs) agenda is Arnold's agenda to kill the hosts is that what he wants to do does he want to end their suffering perhaps Uh, it sounds like Teresa would I mean if you're talking mole patrol here and you're talking about I don't know if it's Arnold I don't know if it's Teresa I don't know if it's man in black but there's 
There are many forces that seem to want to rid Westrun of the old to make new room for the new. Yeah. So I think that that's interesting. I mean, if, if that's Arnold's end game and I mean, we've seen the man in black say like he wants to honor Arnold's legacy. And he has also talked about something with real stakes, with real violence. Could Arnold's legacy be like, I made a huge mistake to quote Joe Bluth. I made a, <laughs> I made a huge mistake. And maybe the move is to undo the damage that I've done by, you know, trying to play God. Maybe the best thing to do is to end the universe. And by end the universe, I mean, end this concept of consciousness in artificial intelligence. We are not supposed to play that role. We're supposed to wipe it all out. Could it be that Arnold's path is, you know, maybe not as uh, liberating for some of these hosts as they would want, but it's actually to terminate the hosts that's a strong possibility i can't believe we only have four more episodes and we may or may not find out i know we'll see we'll see anything else from the ford family that you want to talk in i feel like we, sh- we got to start talking about mave here we will i just want to point out that when uh bernard arrived in his magical uh, magical elevator to sector 17 it reminded me of ex machina did you ever see that movie i did see ex machina i was actually talking about ex machina earlier today with our good buddy antonio mazzaro i mean listen these sentient robots are coming alive so there's a there's a strong theme there but just that whole like set in nature with the modern you know, building and anyway, I just noticed it. That's all. I liked it. I thought yeah. I thought it was really cool. I like all the little elevators. I, I I don't know how you know everyone is like wandering around without seeing these little elevators everywhere. But it's very Willy it's Wonka in the chocolate very, factory. That's what I was just thinking. <laughs> yeah, the glass elevator. All right, so let's let's talk about Maeve. Uh, before we even like get into any like sort of theorizing or where is this going to go, any speculating whatsoever, let's just pause down to like. Good God. Sandy Newton oh. is really, really, really good. Um, this is a difficult episode. That's a very demanding performance that she is being asked to give here. She is naked for much of it, uh, literally naked for much of it. And she's also having to play this character finding existence for the first time, you know, finding consciousness for the first time. We've talked about that before and how one of the beautiful things about this show is that that's the journey. It's like for so many of these entities is discovering what they really are and what it means to really, to really exist. Um, And that these hosts have vivid language that they can use to describe those sensations. And that's really beautifully summed up in the way that Dolores talks about discovering, you know, a building with rooms with lights that she's never turned on before. Um, and I feel like you're getting you're you're asking for a lot of that kind of idea out of Maeve's story this week. And I think that Tandy Newton just did such an incredible job of conveying, you know, like the terror that comes with that, the horror that comes with that, the overwhelming sense of grief that must come with that, but still sort of stoic and strong enough to handle and process this information. And of course, we find out that she's highly intelligent thanks to her modifications, that she's all the way to a 14. So she's able to process this a little bit and certainly probably able to process it a lot now that she's at a full 20. Um, But it's just, it's so good. It's scored so beautifully with the Radiohead, with the motion picture soundtrack that's playing throughout it all. This is, again, like every single week, like I feel like this is the best scene of Westworld (laughs) so far. Uh, But for me this Maeve sequence like you at least have to put it on the list of like the great scenes of this show so far her walk through HQ literally last night I thought this is probably going to rank as one of my favorite scenes on television in 2016 I thought it was beautifully shot and spectacular Uh, Tani Newton the spectrum of emotion and given that she is a host slash robot and what she has to contain but what you can see in her eyes uh, in the way she's holding herself 
I just thought it was a beautiful performance. And I do hope, and I say this, I broke a record every week, that she gets, you know, some love come nomination time, like for the Emmys. And I think that an argument can be made that she's put up for Best Actress as well as uh, Evan Rachel Wood because they are both leads on this show. Well, I think that one of the things is, you know, we've been following Dolores's journey so closely, but because Dolores is not in this episode, we are really focused more on Maeve's awakening. Mm-hmm. Maeve, is, Maeve is much more woke than <laughs> Dolores even is right now. You know, Maeve is wide awake. Um, and I think that the show has done a really good job of investing in Maeve's character. And maybe we didn't quite realize how much they were investing in her. But given where she is by the end of episode six, that she is fully awake and has a 20 any uh, score on her bulk app perception and is clearly remarkably smart, probably too smart if you're worried about any of the human characters. Uh, that really catapults her towards the top of the list of like the most important figures on this show right now. I don't think she's number one on the board in that regard or anything. Um, and this is an HBO show, so most HBO shows are ensemble pieces anyway. But she's as strong a contender for like a real central character as just about any of those people. Like She's really, really vaulted toward the top of the list of people who are really leading this journey forward. I agree. And uh, there are a few design aspects I really enjoyed about her visit to literally where the sausage is being made. I mean, I know. <laughs> the plasma insertion and the heart activation. That was what, so cool. So that was cool. great. The cinematography um, and really the choreography of that scene was quite something. So hat tip to everyone again in those scenes, plus the editing and writing. I don't know if you noticed that everything was bathed in black, white, and red down yeah. to her costume to the lighting um, and the stark red that's, you know, into the, the, it's like, I thought of Dr. Evil, you know, in his lair, <laughs> because yes. when you go to the map room, it's all red walls, um, you know, and it's a little on the nose with evil and red and whatever. But I, I really um, noticed the production and design last night. Um, and I think that was by design that they did that. Yeah, well, I think that that's really interesting to call out those colors, black, white, and red. We Mm -hmm. talk about the gray hat a lot as sort of like the bonding point between black hat and white hat. Like maybe you are in Westworld and things aren't quite as easy as you're good or you're bad. You're a black hat or you're a white hat. Maybe you're a gray hat. Uh, Well, maybe another color interpretation of that is like the thing that bonds black hat and white hat is the fact that they're both red inside. Right. Uh, that That they both are spilling out blood when it comes down to it at the end of the day. So I think that that's another cool visual link. Oh, absolutely. Um, when she sees the ad, you know, live without limits, and she sees a glimpse of herself with the young girl, and she refers to them as her dreams. And, you know, um, the, I for, what is the text name? I, I'm uh, Felix. Felix is Felix. the guy. Felix that, is her, her new BFF. Her new BFF, yes. Said that was you in a previous build. I just think that's so interesting because it sort of confirms that you, I've been saying that these are flash forwards and the shape right, of things was, to come. I was going to ask if you were willing to walk it back this week now that Maeve sees her quote unquote dreams being projected as moving pictures and Felix uh, informs her that she's only been the madam uh, here in Sweetwater for a year. Uh, suggests to me that those visions that she was seeing back in episode two, that that's the past. Yeah, yeah, I'll concede that point. (laughs) (laughs) I'll take it. I'll take the win where I can get it, Joe. Fine, no flash forwards, but whatever. It had to be a lost reference. I know, I love it. But that was great too. Just like, imagine first off, like understanding like the full scope of what you really are and who you really are and that you are essentially in the matrix. Uh, On top of all of that, they've got your dreams on record too. Like that's gotta be so harrowing. And she's smart enough to figure out at this point, I would think, you know, what the implications are when Felix is telling her you were, you've only been the madam for a 
year, you've lived other lives. And she's putting that together. And she was already having like that, probably like really deep in your gut, sickening feeling of like, I've lived through something before and I don't quite know what it is. And she is seeing memories of what that past life was like with her daughter and everything. It does make you wonder like, is she, is she going to be going after that information more? Is she going to be chasing that down? And what is that past life? Uh, that past life has to have some significance. I agree. Um, and I love, you know, you and I have talked about how there's sort of shoddy uh, quality control going on at HQ. Um, yeah, and Elsie is us. She says shit slipping through the cracks and she is not wrong. And so when Felix says, um, they don't ever rewrite rewrite you completely. They could, but it would do too much work. Thousands of hours to build personalities. I'm like, this is this is why the mole is very aware of how easy it's going to be to slip in. Yeah, I think that that's right. There's lots of you know we talk about loops on the show that the hosts are in loops, but I think we don't talk enough about the loopholes that are in the behind the scenes of Westworld, and that if you really know that system in and out, you probably could like most systems. Like if you really really <laughs> know something well, you can recognize the weaknesses and then you can exploit that. Very scary stuff. Uh, but I think you're right. I think Felix is calling out a major weakness. We don't wipe you all. That would be too much work. And isn't that the human condition? Ah, it's too much too much work. Let's cut that corner. We'll make that happen and then what do you know the world ends because of that right uh, so scary scary stuff uh scary stuff on that front for sure so let me ask you at the end when we find out that um when it comes to Maeve that paranoia and self-preservation levels have already been changed by who yeah, that's a great question. Um, we so we do find that out. Sylvester gets roped into this. That's apparently the name of the of Weed and Douche. Uh, I don't Even, remember. Evil ex- Weedon. <laughs> evil Weedon. I don't remember exactly what we were calling him. <laughs> uh, but Evil Weedon has a name. He is Sylvester, and he's getting roped into this uh, as well alongside Felix. And at least Maeve is offering a lucrative situation for these guys. She is essentially offering up a behind the scenes brothel for the Westworld employees. So never let it be said that she is not a, you know, an entrepreneurial person, you know, even, even in this, in the, in the face of this very terrible realization, she is still willing to work every angle. And now I'm dying to know who she was built based upon because badass Maeve is badass. You got to think, you got to think that she's based on somebody, but, um, she is being messed with. I mean, when she finally does convince Sylvester and Felix to make the adjustments that she wants, um, they discover that she's already been adjusted by somebody who has a much higher clearance level than either Sylvester or Felix, and they don't know who that is. So who is that? Is that Teresa? Uh, Teresa has to be like a number one suspect on the board right now because we know that she's already up to shenanigans. Is it is it Arnold, as we've also been seeing, that uh, Elsie certainly believes that Arnold is messing with people. Robot Robert is talking. Robot Ford is talking about how Arnold is speaking in his head. So is Arnold invested in Maeve as well? Um, we know Dolores. I don't know how Dolores would be able to have access to mess with Maeve in this way, but we do suspect, you and I at least suspect, that that whole line, these violent delights will have violent ends, that she said that to Maeve, and that seemed like a triggering moment to get Maeve on this journey. Mm-hmm. Um, so a lot of different suspects. Do you have one that really stands out for you? Not right now. I feel like, you know, with the introduction of Teresa as the mole, that could be just to throw us off the scent. It's possible. Um, you know, the, the moles on moles on moles, right? Like mole... <laughs> 
Mole Patrol is never is never truly going to end. But I think that that's obviously a very key piece of new information that Maeve um, is is wide awake right now. But on top of it, somebody had been pushing her towards that already. Uh, I don't think that again, not breaking news, but nice to get that confirmed on the show that somebody has had a keen interest in her. Um, to go back to the dream a little bit more, um, do, do you think that like now that we that we know that Maeve has had this past life that she's only been the the madam for a year that suggests you know that those visions that she was seeing before that those are flashbacks to a previous life one of the elements of those flashbacks is her seeing the man in black show up at the end of that vision sequence back from episode two so now that we know that that was in the past how much do you think Maeve's storyline is actually intersecting with the man in black should we be looking at him as somebody who might have been invested in waking up Maeve uh, absolutely. I mean, I can't think of another scene where they have been together. I don't think there has been. You don't really don't see so. him at the saloon. No. Um, and so well, you see him in the beginning when he's going to go and yes. he's going to take uh, the poker guy. Right. Uh, but that's that's all that I can remember. Yeah. Yeah. So that one scene in the house when he walks in after she's cowering with his her daughter, um, you know, it could be. They presented similarly when he is at the the farm, the Abernathy farm, and, and Dolores is cowering. And it looks like, you know, see, he has a, a gun with Dolores and a knife when he's with Maeve. And these scenes end before you see what happens. And people assume the worst, murder, rape, whatever. But again, right. it could be it could be digital tinkering. It could be digital tinkering. Which sounds um, really filthy, and I didn't mean it that way. <laughs> Hashtag digital tinkering. All right. Joe, you're just putting it out there. I, I apologize. That. I probably shouldn't during the election. But No, do what you got to do. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's not go down that rabbit okay. hole. Let's, let's stay away from that one. Plenty of other people um, are. Plenty of people are there. No, I think that that's, that's very interesting. And then on that, on that level, too, and going back to the moment where Maeve convinces Sylvester to be on her side, which is great because the way she does it is she holds a scalpel to his throat <laughs> and, you know, really makes the offer pretty clear. Like, either you help me uh, or I can gut you like a trout. Um, <laughs> and when that's the choice, I feel like, you know, you want to go with the first option. I think you want to help her out. Uh, but he also wonders out loud, like, could you hurt me? Like, can, yeah. you can't do that. Like, that's you know, not in your code. And she's saying, Oh, Felix is a lot better at this than, than you realize. You should really give that guy more credit. Uh, so what do you think about this? This was a question that was asked to us by Dave Backer, who wrote in and said, the hosts are quickly becoming more self-aware. Does this mean that other limits on them are also falling by the wayside? Could Maeve have killed the tech when she was holding the knife to his throat? Or was that still just a bluff at this point? I'd be curious for your take on this show. For me, I read that as a bluff. How did you read it? I read that she absolutely could have gutted him like a trout. Really? So you think that Maeve is so far advanced at this point and that her core programming has been altered so much that she could kill a human if she needed to? Yes. And I'm not sure on that chart that you did a freeze frame of of compassion, what her score is for um, compassion. Uh, But when faced with this sort of situation and, you know, the smoking gun in this hand, it could have been a scalpel. And I just feel like she could have could have done it. Uh, I don't think that compassion is on here, but empathy is. And okay. she scored she scored a nine on empathy. Okay. Nine times on empathy. <laughs> uh, so, uh, but she also scores a five on aggression. That feels very low. That's a little low. I think that uh, I think that, like the freeze frame of Maeve's attributes. I feel like uh, you know maybe the details are a little off. This isn't really doesn't fully add up the whole picture on Maeve. No, especially since you know obviously her paranoia and self preservation is way up. So they had to turn others down. 
Yes. So where do you think this is going, Joe? Uh, we now have Maeve as, once again, the most woke host in Westworld. She is the one who is furthest along on her journey of self-discovery. She understands what Westworld is now, thanks to Felix and Sylvester and the fact that her intelligence is so boosted up. For me, I love this character and I love Tandy Newton. I think that she's great. But I'm scared. You know, I'm vi- I'm very scared of the potential of this character. And I think that there is certainly, you know, potential for this to be kind of like a, a revolutionary character and somebody who is heroic in that way. Like, you know, I think, you know, it's so easy to like lean on Game of Thrones as a touchstone and stuff. But like definitely like, yes, Khaleesi. Yes. Like definitely getting a little bit of those vibes as well. But there's something I don't know. Like, were you picking up on anything sinister here? Like, are you nervous about the direction for Maeve now that she says we're going to have some fun, aren't we? Which is like, even with like, kind of like the sort of like darkly sinister synthetic score in the background. I think as I'm rooting for the hosts, um, I'm finding great joy from it rather than being scared. But you know, could, are you scared that she could wind up being the sacrifice that the Island demands that in order for all the other hosts to become woke, she has to do something heroic and die in the process. It's not impossible, but to go to your point of like, you sympathize with the host, of course, so do I. Yeah. Uh, and that's, you know, that's like the perspective that we're getting on this show. So you're really invested in the hosts waking up and discovering who they are and getting to live free lives, whatever form that takes. But the implication there is that that's probably going to end up being pretty bad for people. And then I think about people like Bernard. And Elsie. And I don't want them to get hurt. Right. So I'm, or, or even Felix. Felix is a nice enough guy. He was just trying to make a bird fly. You know, he didn't, <laughs> he didn't ask for any of this. She can gut Sylvester like a trout and I'm good. Yeah. Uh, but there are human beings on this side of, of Westworld that I would be very, very nervous about. Like, and even like think back to, to the pilot. Like think back to the premiere uh, of like the, the family that visits Dolores while Dolores is like painting in the countryside. And there's a little boy in the park. Like this scares me. I I am scared about like Maeve's potential for like if she doesn't see people as the same as her people like if she doesn't see humans as the same as hosts and she prioritizes hosts over humans and she decides that you know her loyalty has been taken down and everything like that uh, could that mean that she is you know potentially going to do some really bad things to some people who don't deserve it necessarily or does deserve have nothing to do with it and like and do you have to feel like to some extent any person who's here in Westworld deserves it because they are here in Westworld. I feel like because her intelligence level is all the way up, uh, she is only going to target her creators, her makers, and people, you know, that she's going to do her her research now, and she's going to be investigative Maeve and figure out who is responsible for all of it and target them. Yeah, so we'll see. We'll see where it goes. I think that that's on the table. That would be great because I don't want her to take, like, a bad guy turn, but I feel like, look, you know, just because, like, you know, these hosts are oppressed and their their lives, like if they are to discover who they really are and to have like actual consciousness, what a terrible, terrible, terrible thing that they are going to wake up to and find what their condition actually is. And you would think that self-discovery is going to lead them to be like, heroic, liberating, you know, all of the people that they've got here in Westworld and like you're really going to be rooting for them. But I don't I don't know that I have ever really considered in a strong way until this moment the possibility that maybe one of these hosts wakes all the way up 
and we don't much like the host that's woken up. Right. Uh, that that person is scary and that that person is dangerous. Like, just think about, think to think to Stephen Ogg's character, the Grand Theft Auto character, uh, you know, Trevor from Grand Theft Auto. Think about, like, what if that guy uh, comes to full consciousness, comes to realize the way that Maeve just woke up, what things are, what's really happening now. One of the things about the fully woke Maeve right now is that she has a lot of her personality attributes as her current build. So that's who Maeve Maeve is now that could be changed, but that's who Maeve currently is, is this, these experiences that she has in that personality setting. So like, what if one of like the really bad hosts, like what if Hector Escaton, what if Paolo, <laughs> you know, is to, is to wake up and still have that personality. That guy might react to things very differently from Maeve. Who's very smart and is willing to play this on the sly. But some of these hosts, once they wake up, they really could go to murder town against a lot of people and have no problem with that at all. Look at Teddy, look at the switch. Right. I mean, that that to me was super fascinating. I think James Marsden actually is underrated. I've always kind of thought this in his his movies have been, you know, hit or miss for me. But I think he's really strong on this show. I and mean, last night he really showed his chops. So let's talk about that. Let's get into the Teddy storyline. Okay. Teddy and Teddy and the man in black are riding together. They are not able to go through Pariah. Pariah is not a great place to travel right now. Is that because William and Dolores uh, just caused uh, all sorts of problems in Pariah? Does that stick in the, is that a fly in the ointment of the theory that there are two timelines? Is that definitive proof that there's trouble in Pariah, which means that was William and Dolores and the man in black and Teddy are in that same timeline? Or is there still something fishy going on? I'm going to lean towards the ladder. Uh, me too, because we want it to be real. I know. <laughs> trying, <laughs> trying, trying very hard to will it into existence. Uh, but they cannot go through Pariah. They are not allowed to go that way. So they have to go another path that Teddy seems to know. Uh, and in so doing, they are going to, they're going to have to like infiltrate a Union army, like a squad of Union soldiers. And they're going to be wearing the uniforms and they're going to get caught. And Teddy is going to be accused of doing a lot of the terrible things that Wyatt had done as well. That's brand new news to us that Teddy and Wyatt were in cahoots. That's not how Teddy told the story originally. He said that we were, you know, friends. He was my sergeant, everything like that. But he was not talking about Wyatt as somebody like the terrible things that Wyatt did. I did as well. Uh, but now we see Teddy in this episode. He shoots everybody up in this camp. Uh, it's very, very violent. And on top of that, we're seeing flashes in his mind of himself killing people alongside Wyatt. So what's going on with Teddy, Joe? What, what are your thoughts on where Teddy's at right well, now? Well, uh, I wrote down the entire speech that he gave to the Man in Black. If you will allow me, I would like to say, you know, when he, Man in Black asks about the maze and Teddy yes. says, it is an old native myth, some of a man's life, the choices he makes. There at the center, there's a legendary man who's been killed over and over again, countless times, but always clawed his way back to life. He returned for the last time and vanquished all of his oppression in a tireless fury. He built a house, and around that he built a maze so complicated, only he could navigate through it. I reckon he'd seen enough fighting. Now, I look at that and I go, well, he's talking about himself. Interesting. And then I thought, well, what if the key to the maze and the reason that Amanda Black is with Teddy is that Teddy is actually, you know, the key to the Matrix? Interesting. Um, well, I, th I think in terms of, like, the vision change, right? Like, cause clearly his vision changed. Um, the, the vision that he had when Ford first uploaded the information about Wyatt, uh, he was, you know, when we see those flashes, Teddy is watching in horror as that stuff is happening. Um, you know, we see, we see that pretty, pretty clearly. Um, but then, like you said, he, he has this scene last week with the man in black and Ford and the Ford pats him on the back, uh, Ford pats Teddy on the back. And in this episode, even the man in black, like remarks after like Teddy is, 
shown to be so aggressive, he says like, whoa, I don't know what Ford did to you. Like he gave you a little, you know, like a, a little extra, you know, some pep in your step. Do you, do you think that Ford added, you know, if we, if we assume that Ford like strengthened Teddy, if we assume that Ford like reduced his pain levels or healed his biochemistry or whatever the hell Ford is able to do, because Ford is able to do everything. Uh, do we also assume then that he adjusted Teddy's past that now Teddy's memory of the Wyatt situation that narrative has also been altered that Teddy himself is a collaborator in the Wyatt thing it's like he it's like in the scene in the bar last week for somehow because he magically snapped he is Willy Wonka he snaps his fingers and things happen and they pause and unpause and maybe he altered Teddy's reverie to to insert the correct memories which is that and maybe Teddy is Wyatt yeah. So I, I have a hot take on this. Okay. All right. My, my hot take on this is that, so, so I think that, you know, Wyatt has been a pretty clear avatar for Arnold for me. Um, you know, like if Ford is making this new narrative and if he's concerned that some sort of, you know, collision with, with Arnold is happening right now and he wants to make a new narrative and he wants Teddy to have a part and he's introducing Wyatt and he says that all stories are rooted, like all good stories are rooted in truth and everything. So let's take it from Ford's perspective. You know, you're always the hero of your own story. So Ford is going to see this as Arnold being the villain. And so he creates Wyatt and that is his Arnold. Like that's the version of this story. That's the Arnold figure. Then maybe Teddy isn't Arnold. Maybe Teddy is Ford. Um, maybe in, in, in Ford's eyes, he's setting Teddy out on a path that is hopefully like any, any way that Teddy and the man in black find quote unquote Wyatt, which would actually be the Arnold that Ford is looking for, that he is viewing Teddy as sort of an analog for himself on this crusade to find his old enemy. Um, and on top of that, given the conversation between the man in black and Ford, that may have been a very revealing conversation as well. And the man in black says to Teddy in this episode, whatever your past indiscretions make peace with them, they're only going to get worse the longer we go. Um, and Teddy maybe is making peace with that and is having to confront the idea that I committed some atrocities alongside Wyatt could be an echo, could be a reflection of Ford also now being at the place where he has to concede. I did some things with Arnold that I regret. Um, so I'm not looking at Teddy as an Arnold avatar. I'm looking at Teddy as an avatar for Ford. What do you think about that? I, I hadn't thought about it before, um, but I like it because that way he inserts himself into the narrative with Men in Black while he's trying to uh, finish his journey. And so as I've speculated in previous podcasts, there I still put forth in my conspiracy theory brain that there is a f relationship between Ford and Man in Black, that they could be brothers, just looking at the ages of the actors, that there is some kind of familial tie between them. And so I like your idea because it inserts Ford in the narrative with Man in Black on his journey. Well, one of the things I like, because I am a subscriber, I do ship the two timeline theory. Yeah. Uh, and so I, I like the idea of like, maybe, you know, maybe William and Teddy, you know, are, you know, Teddy, we know is programmed to be deeply in love with Dolores. Mm -hmm. uh, and William certainly seems like he is being drawn into that, that I really like the idea that, you know, the, the Arnold to the man in black's board perhaps is Teddy. Like they have the rivalry, like that's a duality between the man and 
Black and William who have this, you know, competing affection for Dolores. So the two of them are at odds against each other. And then the Ford and Arnold thing is sort of separate. So there's like kind of like two different rivalries that are running parallel alongside each other. Um, so I don't know. I like that. I think I think it's a neat idea. I don't know. Who knows if it's going to bear out like all things on this show. But it was something that I was thinking about a bit that maybe Teddy is sort of representing uh, Ford on this quest. And he's not, you know, just because he's doing these horrible things alongside Wyatt doesn't make him the Arnold figure. Maybe it's a sign of Ford's growth of realizing, yeah, I've done some terrible stuff as well. And it's time to own up to it. This is why I love this show and being able to talk about it with you, because there are so many possibilities. And yet we don't find it frustrating. Um, if anything, it's just really it's an interesting experience to watch and, and enjoy and then analyze because uh we must give credit to the writers for creating it. It literally is a maze and we'd have to be putting on our tinfoil hats and looking at a whiteboard to graph, make a graph and to, to follow all of this. But there are, we are actually in the maze ourselves. The viewers are in this maze. And so that was, I think by design. And I think this show is kind of brilliant. Um, just to go back to the multiple timeline thing for a second here again. So like William is not in this episode. Dolores is not in this episode. So we, you know, we can't really advance that too much further, but Joe, how much have you been paying attention to, uh, the conspiracy theories surrounding the Westworld logos? I have not been paying that much attention. I've been too focused on the maze. So, so this has been something that's been popping up in a lot of different places. I believe David Chen is, is one of the people that's really been uh, leading, carrying the <laughs> banner on, on that front from Slash Film. And I believe he has a podcast as well, Decoding Westworld. I might be getting the details wrong about that. But I was watching a video that he made that was really tracking a lot of stuff. Um, and the logo for the Westworld logo looks one way in most scenes and then looks very specifically differently in a few others. Okay. Uh, and, and you see the difference. You see, you see the main Westworld, like the big W. It's always a W, but it's like the, the accents on the W and how that W is designed. There's two different versions of it. One version is the one that we see most often, and it's the same one that Maeve sees when she's looking at the top of the stairs and watching her quote-unquote dreams play out in quote-unquote motion pictures. Okay. Uh, that's, that's, the, that's the Westworld logo of the present for sure. Um, and then when Bernard in this episode is in the basement and looking at old technology, there is a different W. There is a different Westworld logo, and that's the same logo that you see when William is going up the escalator for the very first time in Westworld. Nice. So if you're looking at that stuff, that seems, that seems pretty good. That seems pretty good. So tracking the logo has been interesting. And that's some, that's a, definitely a conversation that I wasn't paying much attention to before this week. Uh, so hat, black hat tip to David Chen and everybody else who's been uh, banging the drum on that regard. I think that that's really interesting. And for me, that's pretty telling. Yes. I mean, it's also, it's not subtle if you're looking for it, I suppose. <laughs> yes, um, yes. I was thinking back the whole episode, I'm going, where's Stubbs? Where's Ashley Stubbs? And then I thought, okay, he is probably working with Teresa. I think that security guy Hemsworth number three is one of our moles. Yeah, I could see that. You think that like he could be a candidate for whoever grabbed Elsie as well. If like we're if we're yes. looking at who possibly did that, uh, could be Man in Black. I think we were speculating earlier, but Stubbs was Stubbs was on my mind as well. I mean, he just seems like the likeliest candidate for something like well, that. Well, he's never around until he is. <laughs> <laughs> But isn't that true for all of us, Joe? It's very true. Um, we kind of skipped over, but uh, Tessa Thompson was uh, introduced uh, yes, up on the Lido the, deck. The, 
Yes, yes. So that's the last real storyline to talk about this week, I think, is the arrival of Charlotte Hale, played by Tessa Thompson, a uh, great actor who I have not seen nearly enough of her work, unfortunately. I watched her for many years, and she was in Creed most recently, I believe, was yes. her biggest hit. Um, but I liked the introduction of her because I was buying into that she was just a visitor. Um, you know, yeah, totally. And I like the nice little twist that she's corporate, she's on the board, and she's um, there to assess. And mean, <laughs> your boy Sizemore is peeing on the map. Oh, my God. What a monster, this guy. <laughs> Such an idiot. He's a tiny monster. Um, <laughs> don't, don't tell him that. He doesn't need any more insult to injury. Listen, here. he is size less. We've decided, yes. we've decided that. Size less. But, size more, show less. Yes. yes. So she's there to assess. So I can't wait to see if Charlotte Hale uh, inserts herself into narratives. No, I think that that could be cool. I like I like her. I think that she's, you know, uh, Tessa Thompson brings great energy to the mm-hmm. character. She's a very good actor. I like her scenes here with Sizemore. Uh, interesting idea that the executive director of the board is pretty young. Yes. Uh, she's, uh, Tessa Thompson, I believe, is 33 years old. New that's, blood. That's a, you know, that's a very young age to be in such a senior position. So that means she's very, very smart. So that suggests a lot about her or maybe just entitled. I mean, that's also possible. Josh, they needed she, a millennial. Okay. <laughs> they needed somebody who was totally yes. on top of all the technology. I know. So many Gen Xers that we needed to bring a millennial into the mix here. So, no, I, I like that. Who knows where it's going? I don't think that there's tons to speculate about um, in this regard quite yet. I mean, she's on the show now. Right. Uh, who knows? I don't know why she didn't just, like, immediately fire Sizemore. That's, like, the that's one of the most least realistic things uh, that has happened on Westworld so far is that Sizemore just hasn't been instantly fired for peeing all over the map. I just, to me, I just assume that our, our favorite mole, Teresa, already talked to her about him and, like, show, talked about the importance of having younger blood, and he designed these new model hosts that weren't used and they could be repurposed. And I don't know. I just assumed the best rather than the worst. I suppose. I suppose. I just feel bad for whoever has to clean that up. You know, it's, <laughs> I know it's going to be a host and it's like, oh, the host doesn't know better. So it's fine. But right. it's still, still terrible. I feel horrible for that person. <laughs> okay. Fair enough. Any, any other theories as we're wrapping up here, Joe, anything else from this week that we didn't touch on that you want to make sure we hit before we go? I'm just, I'm trying to figure out the logistics uh, of Robert Ford being able to stop time in when he's in the park does HQ is HQ aware of this? Um, is anything being recorded while they're in stop motion time? Is it literally a snap of his fingers? Is it a button he's pressing? Is it a thought he has? I'm just I'm really fascinated by the logistics. We're probably never going to find out. Probably not. You you got to imagine that the writers have like an internal bible for how that works, <laughs> or or maybe like their answers is like, well, it's neat and cool, so we just let it happen. But it seems very godlike, and obviously they presented Doctor Ford, who created co-created Westworld in that way, but. I just wonder if anyone else has that power, A. Um, B, if Arnold can affect it or uh, like uh, make time happen, speed up time again if, if, if he's confronted with Ford. I just – I start thinking about these things and that's – I know this show is sci-fi. It's just that supernatural magical aspect of it that I can't wrap my head around. Yeah, well, I mean, time's still going on, you know, like when he stops things. But he's able to to stop these hosts down. And one of the things that was cool about that was like that ripple effect. Uh, You know, like he stopped everything and then he says, carry on. And then most of the town starts activating again, but there's like a time delay. The first, like it's, it seems like it's related to how his physical proximity to people, like the closer he got to certain frozen hosts, like the quicker they would thaw. Right. Uh, I thought that that was interesting. Maybe that's 
a clue to something. Maybe it's proximity. Um, although then again, he was very far away from all the people in the field back in episode four and they all froze. Um, so who knows, who knows how it works? It's a, it's a interesting question. I wonder if it's going to have any sort of plot utility at some point, but that reminds me, uh, you bring this up, makes me think back to, so Bernard, when he first encounters Ford's family and he's trying to get, uh, Ford's father to stop coming at him and his voice commands yeah. are not working. And Ford says, well, they listen to me. Doesn't it feel like there is a promise there in, you know, Ford being able to stop everything down back in episode four and being able to stop the town in this episode and being able to stop his family and being so used to leaning on his godlike magic tricks? Isn't the promise there that one of these days those tricks are not going to work? And that's probably going to end with somebody eating Robert Ford's face. (laughs) Listen, system failure is pending. Yes. Yes. So I find that interesting. I think that's great. I think like, you know, that's on the show so much because that power has to deactivate at some point. And that will be uh, not to our benefit because I don't see that going well for Robert Ford. And that would mean the loss of Anthony Hopkins on this show. But I think that I've also surmised that you probably don't have Anthony Hopkins on this show forever. I can't imagine Anthony Hopkins is agreeing to do Westworld for, you know, 10 years. Uh, like I feel, I feel like it could be a short and really fiery arc for that character. That's one of the things that I'm looking at this season is like, is this a one and done season for a character like Robert Ford? Or in an interesting twist, it could, what if it's, they present a new world each season in an anthology fashion, like American horror story. And they have the same actors playing different roles. No, <laughs> I, don't want, I don't want that. I'm invested. I'm investing these people. I'm just I mean, effing with you. Well, I, what I would like, I mean, I wouldn't mind like some sort of like, um, you know, secret twist that there is a secret medieval world that's in development and like we will go somewhere like that in the future. That would be really cool. And of course, hosts can be reset, but I definitely, I still want to be invested in all the people. So I, I hope, I hope we stick to that. You and I already live in Westeros world, so it's fine. I know. We've been pretty good about that, by the you way. You have been, yes. Uh, I've been trying. I've been trying really actively. Uh, <laughs> anything else, Joe, or are we good? I'm sure I'm forgetting something, but we appreciate all of your, your tweets and your emails and your comments on iTunes and on Pocha Recaps. Yes, much appreciated for all of that. Also, we talked about the multiple timelines a lot this episode. I want to give a shout out to my buddy, Kurt Clark, who had written in with a really thoughtful analysis on the multiple timelines. I'll copy and paste that and put that in the show notes so that you guys can all read that. So it's fairly lengthy, uh, so we're not going to get into it on the podcast, but it's a really great take from from Kurt. And I really do think that the, these multiple timelines are definitely happening here. I love it. So that's pretty, that's pretty cool. All right, so subscribe to our podcast. We'd greatly appreciate that. Postshowrecaps.com slash Westworld is the way to do that. You can leave your ratings. You can leave your reviews, all of that good stuff. You can also send in your questions to us, postshowrecaps.com slash feedback or Westworld at postshowrecaps.com. Follow Joe. She's on Twitter at Joe Pinionated, like opinionated with a J in front of it. I'm at Round Howard. Hashtag time. We are, we are loaded up here, Joe. We've got plenty to go through. <laughs> we could do black hat tip. I liked uh, digital tinkering. I thought was, <laughs> I thought that was really good. You're uh, welcome. Woke Woke host was pretty fun. Uh, size more, show less. I think I want to go with uh, we we were championing black hat tip, but I really like digital tinker. <laughs> Sorry, and you're welcome. <laughs> no, I thought that that was really good. So give us that hashtag digital tinkering. Thanks so much, guys, for listening to another episode of our podcast. We'll be back with episode seven next week. Really looking forward to it, Joe. I'll talk to you then. We're gonna have some fun. <laughs> <laughs>